same in China, China, different, different stories. stories. We are the ones that found their way, way in, life. in a new life. Adopted babies, Adopted from, China. babies from China. I'm Tara. Before this episode begins, I wanted to preface that there is some profanity. Enjoy! All right. Hello, I am excited to share Katie's done with her thesis. It was a long process. I wanted to congratulate her here. I would also like to send a congratulations to all who have completed a milestone, such as a thesis or graduation, and you should be very proud of that accomplishment. Today, I am here with graphic designer and podcaster, Anna. Anna is a co-host of the STL podcast and also works as a designer full-time in Missouri. I was able to connect with Anna and learn many helpful tips for podcasting as well as working as a creative professional. So thanks for joining me, Anna. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is weird to be on the other side. <laughs> as I say, how often do you get interviewed? Because I know you're doing the interviews. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I like to avoid that as well. Uh, in person especially this is nice though I, sh- I should be doing it more but I don't <laughs> I always think it's good to have the experience of the receiving end too like in photography I've done modeling just to see how it feels it's very different from being the photographer that's yeah sure. I think I like being behind the the media <laughs> usually Versus in yeah, front of it. <laughs> I gotta get used to it so this is good practice yeah, awesome so glad So similar to myself, I would say you are an older Chinese adoptee. Could you tell us more about your story? Yeah, I was adopted in May of 94, but my parents started the process in 92, 93-ish, kind of right after everything opened up for international adoption. So there are few of us. (laughs) There aren't a whole lot. Um, And I was adopted. I was kind of older. I was two years old which is also not mm-hmm. not as common. So I'm 27 now. Um, I turned 28 at the end of the week. And I've been in the States then for like 26 years. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. it's kind of weird. And my gotcha day, or however you want to say it, I, I haven't really dived into the, the semantics of that. The day I was, the papers were signed, I guess, is the day before my birthday. Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, Friday or Saturday? Yep. Oh, it's Sunday. Yeah, so I get a little mini celebration before the real celebration. (laughs) (laughs) Was it always like that growing up? You would have, okay, we're celebrating your gotcha day. Mm -hmm. Cake twice. Yeah, well, I usually got, what did I get? When I was a little bit older, um, I would get like a a pork bun or something from, there's a little strip of Chinese bakeries and restaurants and stuff. So they would get me like Chinese food from there. And then I get like Aww. a little gift or something. Oh, yeah, really sweet. yeah, it was fun. As a kid, I was like, "Fine, more presents, all right." <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, I guess when this releases, your birthday will have passed. So, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, gotcha, whatever we want whatever to call it, it. <laughs> I think every adoptee has a different way that they refer to their adoption day i only heard gotcha day probably like two that's years ago that's how i've ago, always heard it i didn't personally. even know it was like a thing that was thought about and i'm still not terribly concerned about it for my own personal purposes right. but i do think it's an interesting conversation yeah, I, I imagine 
So you don't have any siblings, correct? Only child. Only mm-hmm. child. Okay. A lot of people I've been talking with usually have a sibling of some sort. Nope, I got laser That's focus very... right on me. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you feel your interest in adoption really occurred at a certain time while you were growing up? Or any particular events? So my parents were pretty heavily involved in like trying to expose me to Chinese culture when I was a kid. And so adoption Mm -hmm. came up a lot then, but it also felt like I was getting exposed to Chinese culture through the lens of a predominantly white family and just Mm -hmm. lifestyle in general. So I'm not, that was a little bit weird for me especially like reflecting on it. Probably when I was a kid, I didn't care. But now that I think about it. And then when I was in college was when was really the first time I was confronted with other people that were Asian. Most of them were, were coming into the States for school though. So it was a different, you know, a a different kind of Asian, right? Like they were culturally as well as um, biologically Asian. So that really made me think about my identity, the nature versus nurture thing. And that's when I sort of started getting into all the Facebook groups and watching documentaries and kind of doing it on my own and doing some self-discovery. And then it just kind of goes in and out. (laughs) I believe that. (laughs) I'm glad you brought up nature versus nurture because from my perspective, I feel like you have this very no BS attitude. It's probably similar to what I feel too. I don't know if that's because we've matured a little bit and we're getting uh. older, <laughs> but I was like, oh, do you think a lot of that might be a lot to do with our nature as adoptees or you think it has to be influenced by our family too? I think, what do you think? You know, I think part of it is what you're saying is it's maturity is that I was going, it, I was like real hyper-focused on this nature nurture thing for a long time, you know, like just thinking about, you know, like. So my parents are both creative too. And so a lot of me was like, and they, but they would always say stuff like, you seem like you were creative just right at the beginning, you know? So it's always like, was I creative innately or growing up in a creative household? What did that do? Um, I thought about that a lot. I thought about all of these things and all of the things that I personality wise was very different from my parents. And so I thought about that a lot in like high school, especially, I think. And a little bit in college when I was separate from them and starting to develop myself as a person. And now I don't think about it that much. And I think it's just because you're never going to have the answer to that. Unless you meet your, like in my situation in which the chances of me ever Mm -hmm. connecting with anyone from my biological family are very low to nothing, right? And I don't have an interest Mm -hmm. necessarily in finding them part of the reason being that it would be hard to do. A lot of me is just like, I'm never going to know. I'm going to drive myself crazy, hyper-focusing on this one aspect of being adopted, and it's not going to get me anywhere. And I think a lot of that came with maturity, and a lot of that came with just Mm. going through it over and over again and just knowing for my own mental sanity that this was not a productive use of my my self-exploration time. So (laughs) I think it came with that because my parents are very hyper-analytical too sometimes. They will talk something to the death. um, And I say that Uh. in the most loving way uh, in case they're listening. But they were were very hyper-focused on making (laughs) sure that we were communicating all the time when I was a kid about being adopted, about what it meant, about all of those issues. And so that almost makes me feel like if it were just nurture, 
that I would still be pretty hyper-focused on that, um, or it would still be at least in the back of my head. And I, I can't say about nature because I'm never going to know. So That's a lot a of point. me thinks that it just came with maturity um, and came with coming to terms with how much I'm going to know realistically and how much I'm not going to know mm-hmm. and, and kind of focusing on other aspects of, of my journey and my experience. Makes sense. I mean, you, you did fall into, well, not fall, you studied to become a creative mm-hmm. professional. Yeah, I always say I was kind of doing well. there anyway, you know, whether it was nature <laughs> or nurture or both, I think I, you know, it was going to happen. <laughs> so the interest for a creative profession, was that, well, I guess that was a little bit of your parents too. Was it also found in high school or college? Yeah. So again, like they always said, you were creative from the get-go. You kind of knew things instinctively. You know, how much of that is true? Like what parents say is always, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt because they're your parents. They think you're the best at everything. You're the smartest kid in in (laughs) class, you know? So you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But my parents both worked from home a lot. And so I was literally surrounded by creativity. I would be there when my dad was designing logos. I would be watching my mom do illustrations and she would sketch constantly and like all of these things. And so when I went into high school, I had, from an academic standpoint, a lot more knowledge on the technical parts of design than a lot of my, Uh. I I mean, I knew what graphic design was. I already had a step up in that degree, right? And so I went through high school and college very immersed in art. My parents wanted me to be very involved. And so I went to summer camps every year that were art-related. I did programming. I did internships. I did all of that. And so it's always been a part of my life from the minute I, you know, stepped onto U.S. soil to now and for the rest <laughs> of my life, there's going to be something creative. Okay. So your university that you went to in the U.S., was that in the Midwest? Yeah, I too? went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design in Minnesota. Okay. Um, great school. Um, and I studied, I majored in graphic design. I had an emphasis in illustration. I took a lot of illustration classes my second year or my second half there. And then I had a minor in art history. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you, you do, do you enjoy what you I do? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, as much as I hate that this has happened because my parents were right, is that I've become a little bit of a hybrid of them. My dad is a graphic designer and my mom is an illustrator. <laughs> And I've become a hybrid graphic designer illustrator. I have a little bit more of an academic, I think, mindset than than both of them. So maybe that's something that I've had just innately. Uh, Maybe that's a nature thing. But yeah, I kind of became a a blend of them a little bit. A little little bit, yeah. It's kind of annoying. (laughs) Like, damn it, I'm my own person. (laughs) But no, the, the creativity, the... The precision, I think, in the process that my dad went through is something that I really enjoy. And the story and the color and some of the free-flowing conceptual parts of illustration that my mom does is also something that I really enjoy. So I've been able to kind of figure out or start to figure out how to kind of combine the two. Ah. Is your your husband also a professional? engineer yep, technical he's, uh, he works in tech support yeah oh which is okay. great for me if i have a question so <laughs> that works out say, especially working from yeah. home hey i know it's husband. great i'm like my server's not working help <laughs> it's great <laughs> oh man when we spoke you said you met your husband when you were in high school yeah, very early on early. right 
Hello, babies. Okay, tell yeah, me more about we, this. Uh, we went to different high schools. He lived about 30, 45 minutes away from me. So we would only see each other on weekends. And I think that really helped us. I think that being in the same high school as someone mm-hmm. and like eight hours a day being stuck with him and your hormones are going crazy and like everyone is just so hyper-focused on like, these weird priorities that you're that you're focused on in high school like that everyone is it's not criticism on anyone who's listening this in high school but believe me (laughs) but it is your priorities are different they're very focused around your social life regardless of whether you're antisocial or not and so not being in that (laughs) bubble together I think actually was really good for us because we we got to spend time together as a couple and not be hyper focused on what other people were thinking or being in class or like all of that kind of stuff so we dated then and then I went away to college and he stayed here so then we were long distance for four years which also probably helped and then I came back in 2015 okay so you guys went to different high schools. Yep. So how did you guys meet? We, it's such a, it's, my aunt owns a resort in the in rural Missouri and his family would go down every year and they stopped for a while and then they started coming down with him and his brother when I was in middle school. Um, so I met him there. <laughs> yeah, super oh, okay. random. So, like, so I would only random. see him once a year on like Labor Day for I think two, two years, two or three years. Um, and then we started dating after that. So random. <laughs> oh, okay, I know it was very random. Yeah, I was like, we didn't wait, you... have you know the the internet the way that we High do school. now, kids. <laughs> there, there was no Tinder. <laughs> that's oh cool. yeah, but yeah. So that's how we met, and we we talked. We would use AIM or AIM, however you say it. We would talk. Oh, that's AIM. how we would talk. We wouldn't text really because you know there's still text limits on phones. So. God, we're really like dating ourselves right now. <laughs> we are. Just thinking oh, you've got mail. <laughs> oh man. What was your aim screen? Walking spastic. And here's why. Because I was an emo I still am. Uh, an emo kid. And there's a song by the used <laughs> called Paralyzed and one of the the lyrics back and forth like some walking spastic. And I was always very clumsy. And I've got a little bit of a sometimes I have a lot of I'm a low energy person, but I have bursts of energy sometimes, and it just kind of I, I bounce off the mm-hmm. walls. So it felt it felt appropriate. <laughs> so that's what all of my things were. I was on brand. <laughs> oh, Even then, I you were on brand. Skin. I technically was on brand too because, and I've shared it before, and people are like, "Really? Could you be any more Asian?" Mine was big oh, China. Panda. Well, so my email, my Yahoo email, was China girl. So I, you know, and that's the one I still have to use for Facebook. You know, I get to get reminded (laughs) of that like every day of my life. So that's great. Yeah. So I switched that over real quick, like real fast though. (laughs) I'm glad we all do this. Those were the days. AIM, everybody, if you, if you are in our age bracket It stands for AOL Instant (laughs) Messenger in case you need to look it up (laughs) later. It was great. Google that. Well, I was also reading, I started reading Ali Wong's book, Yeah, Dear Girls, and she makes reference to oh, MySpace. Oh, man. So that's where I learned there. to code. And so many designers will say that to you. MySpace, yeah. In really? our generation of like the, you know, late 20s to mid 30s, probably era, so many designers. This is where I learned coding. This is where I got, I dipped my toes huh. into HTML. Because that's how you did it, right? Like, that's how you customize your profile. I made boxes. I made text bigger. I colored it. Like, (laughs) I did all of those things. 
It really was. That's the the first exposure I had to any kind of platform that would let you edit code. You know, so there's that. MySpace was influential not only for musicians, but also for graphic designers. Yeah. Also for... Yeah. Who knew? I didn't know yeah. that. There were limits. <laughs> it wasn't crazy. CSS was I'm sure. not, oh, yeah. you know, not really in my wheelhouse at that point. So many times. <laughs> I get you to... Someone out there know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure. I'm sure. Oh, yes. Although... Many, many adoptees I've reached out to or connected with all have very scientific or technical professions that they're going into, and I feel a little bit less <laughs> intelligent when I speak with them on if they start using any terms scientifically. Um, yeah, I'm a photographer. Pictures. You've got term, you know, <laughs> ISO, F-stop. All those right, true. aperture, you can use those. CSS is cascading style yeah. sheets, I believe. HTML, I, yep. HTML, oh, okay. I have no idea what it, it stands for. Um, but they work in tandem. You know, the two kind of core, like for okay. at least for web and kind of basic coding like that. Oh, boy. It gets more Great. technical as we Great. go out older. One interesting thing that I've learned being a professional now, which still feels weird to say, honestly, five years later, but I do a <laughs> lot of portfolio reviews and resume reviews and stuff like that and one of the things is oh. uh, like two years in I did a, pro uh, a project review for some uh, students that were doing an environmental graphics project I was saying things like giving them advice like you know have you thought about so they were building an exhibit like an animal exhibit and I was like well have you thought about you know wheelchair accessibility and have you thought about viewing distance and whether or not the height of your right. exhibit is at a feasible distance for viewers have you thought about bottlenecking your exhibit whether or not people are going to be stuck in one thin area um, at a time and not going to be able to read your content and these are all things that I had would never have known the two years before when I was in college. I just had this moment of like, oh my God, I've learned things. Like I've grown. Like I've become a professional with mm -hmm. a, a capital P. Like this is nuts. There's like a nice moment that will probably happen at some point in your life. It doesn't matter when, you know, because every profession develops at a different rate and every person develops at a different rate. But there's this moment of clarity, right. like I've learned things. I know more than these kids or like I like <laughs> I have proven that I am in this industry now, you know, and that's that's a really cool moment. Whenever it happens, it's super exciting. I, I like was sitting there. I'm like, huh. You don't know about ADA guidelines. What a bummer, you know? <laughs> and you yeah, actually do need to know that, it. by the way. <laughs> Sir. So it's it's really, that's a, that's a nice feeling. And every that's something that uh, goes across every profession and every experience. So it's, yeah, oh, definitely. I have definitely learned more in my years working professionally. I say quote unquote professionally because. I actually restarted my career right before lockdown <laughs> <laughs> in advertising. I should say career because it's not a career. I restarted my job profession. I guess that would be my tip of advice for say you learn a lot more outside of school and the education. It's just having real world school. applications. There's just there is situations you're going to come across that you never know are going to happen. There's no way a professor could predict it. There's no way any curriculum could predict it. It just right. happens. You know, I had a client tell me that my design looked like an acid trip. How do you react to that? No one taught me that. You know, I know I was fine. Oh, with wow. It. Okay. Um, it's very bold. You kind of learn in design school to like not love 
your like to not have a personal connection with your ideas and that's really important is to not that's probably right. true in photography as well it's just you can't latch on to mm-hmm. an idea and then have a nostalgia for it and have have any any kind right. of emotional connection to the degree in which it will destroy you if someone doesn't like it or if you have to switch because oh, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna mess you up you know clients say stuff like oh, that and you right. adjust and you figure it out and you you learn how to articulate in your head why they would have because clients will never tell you because they don't know how to say it but okay what makes it an acid trip? Is it the colors? Is it the saturation? Is it the way, you know, you have to think about all of these things, kind of break it down in your head and deconstruct it and then work back up to rebuilding it with a lot of assumptions right. in mind, but it's more effective than just being like, well, you're an acid trip, you know, <laughs> and, or being like, they're wrong. They're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand my vision. You know, what do you mean? Your vision doesn't matter if it doesn't translate to the client and then the guest to, at least in my industry, it doesn't, you know, you can still hold on to your aesthetic. You can still right. hold on to some of your story and your vision, but you've got to also, if you're in graphic design or any kind of communication art, you have to understand that the, your main mm-hmm. audience needs to be influenced by or impacted in some way by your design. So it's just reality of it. But you learn that as you go. You are never going to oh, learn yeah. that until you, I mean, your professors will tell you your stuff is shit, but it's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, I was the, I was the odd kid. I shouldn't say that. I was the person in my class because I went to a university in the Midwest in the U.S. too. And I think I mm-hmm. pretty much everybody was white. So that's a very popular topic for us adoptees, international transracial adoptees, that everybody's white that's around you. But in the Midwest, super white. everybody <laughs> truly is white that's around you. And in the classes I had, I was the only, of course, non-white person. And it was all women because it was photography, commercial-focused, and everybody really focused in the fashion and glamour area. And I did portraits of a lot of men, actually, because I thought that would be easier, personally. (laughs) It was actually harder (laughs) than I thought it would be. And also, I don't have any interest in the glamour and fashion personally myself I don't even wear I don't either (laughs) that's another that's another yeah I mean yeah I feel weird when I put it on now you know I think we're very lucky we're both a little darker skin tone but I think that that helps it does have a nice I've been complimented in creepy and non-creepy ways about the the olive skin being kind of a nice tone you don't have to do much to it we don't blotch I at least I don't really blotch um, at all. I mean, I, I still wear SPF. Oh, I should do that. I don't I'm even do. That. Like, Let's I wear that SPF. I like soap on my face in the morning and like, I, I don't do anything. It's awful. <laughs> I put on foundation once. I mean, part of it is also like, there's not, you know, if we're going to loop back to like something more topical is there's not a whole lot of tones that really match at least at like commercial right. or like kind of standard retail areas and I'm cheap and I don't wear makeup. So I'm not going to go somewhere fancy. So, you know, you go to Target, I don't, I don't think I've ever found a foundation that doesn't just look like I'm two people. And I, I found one concealer <laughs> once that was really good, um, and I haven't really been able to find it again. So part of it is just like, okay, am I going to spend, like, an excessive amount of money to find the perfect concealer or the perfect foundation when I don't wear concealer or foundation, and I don't think it matters. I don't think I look bad without it or, like, a mess, so... 
I'm just going to save my money. But if it is it, frustrating that it, it's a little bit harder to find those products unless you get them online oh, from yeah. somewhere that's specifically Asian. Yeah. And even like having Specific. darker skin tone as an Asian oh, yeah. person is in certain Asian cultures less common as well or less um, makeup. There, there's less mm-hmm. makeup options for it's a little bit more focused on the lighter tones. So that's another issue. Oh, yeah. I lead a, a nonprofit here and I agreed to do it. I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm not really a front facing person and only being in public in that way a whole lot. And it did not quite occur mm-hmm. to me that like to run a nonprofit, you have to speak in public as a representative of the right. nonprofit. So that oh, made yeah. me reevaluate my wardrobe a little bit. Because I was like, oh, man, I kind of look like a gremlin. Um, <laughs> I'm like, people are, like, <laughs> taking photos of me, and I'm, like, in a hoodie and, like, jeans, and I'm, like, hunched over, like, 90 degrees, and I just look like uh, I'm a college student that just went through, um, like, 12 all-nighters in a row. There's a little bit of an appearance <laughs> issue there. <laughs> I still don't wear makeup. Slight <laughs> shift. I still don't put on makeup. So. <laughs> I don't either don't do anything to my hair either because it doesn't yeah i i got also very lucky with my hair it's very thick and i it's funny because i go through a lot of the threads i like i don't say anything i'm just a silent observer and i i I read through them because i am interested about like the the different types of of hair um because i've always heard that asian hair is a little Mm -hmm. bit different so sometimes it's harder to kind of deal with or like know how to maintain um so i'm always curious as to what that is but mine is super thick when I was going through puberty it was real frizzy it was awful it was like a wavy triangle mm-hmm. of a fro mess it was terrible I couldn't comb it for or couldn't brush it for years because it would just <laughs> right up like a sheep like and that was like uh late high school mid to late high school it was awful like that's the worst time to have shitty hair but fear not if you're going through this, it will likely fade as mine did. Um, Cause like, so before all of that, um, my hair was super flat and mm-hmm. then it, it went nuts for a few years, a few torturous years. And then it went back and now it's pretty straight. The longer it gets, the straighter it gets because it's heavier. My hair is super thick, so that doesn't take long. Mm-hmm. And it's got a little bit of a wave to it when it's at the length it is right now. And so if you have a, like a weird fro thing going on right now, it will likely fade if you're in the, the age group of 11 great to wisdom. Like 16, 17. <laughs> there might be hope for you. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. there is hope because then I don't want to give you false hope, but there might be hope. <laughs> Puberty does weird things to hair anyway. This is our yeah. imparted wisdom. So, and people's hair changes oh, yeah. throughout their, their life. But I've never dyed it either. And I'm always like obsessively looking at like um, Asian people who have like dyed their hair specifically because I've heard, yes. I've done extensive research because that's who I am. And it has scared me out of doing it. They're like, you're going to have to bleach it twice if you want any kind of saturated, vibrant color. You're going to have, it's going to fade in like a week, a week and a half. You have to go back. And then I'm like looking at how much it costs. I'm like, oh my God, this isn't worth it. Like I had, I had uh, colored extensions for a while and that seemed a lot better. But uh, yeah, I just, I was like, I'm going to destroy my hair. (laughs) Um, And I know there's ways to do it where you don't, but um, I just haven't done it yet. But it looks real cool. <laughs> and then you probably, 
It looks awesome. It does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Looks, looks great. Like color. But I haven't done it, so. Yeah. I feel like all, all, all the people who are listening are like, these I am very cheap. cheap. It's, it's gotten me very far in life. I am too. So joke all you want, all you laughing audience listeners, but we're, we're sitting pretty ish. I feel like we should do a positive, on a positive spin. This is the wisdom we have shared from yeah, our save, older perspective. Save, hoard your money. Puberty, Puberty is weird. weird. And uh, you'll learn things. And you'll need more you'll words. learn things. <laughs> oh my. Let's take a break. something that my parents okay. could never really afford to do when I was uh, younger and mm. uh, obviously now I'm not going to anytime soon probably travel um, outside of the states yeah oh, and yes. um, just outside of the states in general I don't even want to travel outside of my my state kind of you know it's something that my parents have always said they want to do with me and I don't know how I I don't know how I feel I, I was so young and all of the memories come from mm-hmm. things that my parents have told me. I don't think any of them are really my own. And I don't think that right. my orphanage is even there anymore. Um, and I also, I know, oh. so our orphanage had like a director, obviously. His name was Mr. Lee. So mm-hmm. that was super helpful. I looked that up and that came up with, you know, just <laughs> razor sharp, accurate results on that one. And he carried me around all the time. Like I... And again, according to my parents, I was one of his favorite children. Oh. I connected with him, um, and he would parade me around. And he's who I connected with and not the, the nannies that were there. But he's retired. A lot of me is like, there's nothing there for me necessarily, and I wouldn't go back to mm-hmm. do a search. Um, I'd gone through all of my documents a few times and kind of looked at the location of the orphanage. And then there was a little bit of documentation on where I was found and then dropped off. And it, I, I looked it up and it's in the middle of nowhere, possibly on a train. I don't know. There's like a little line. I did Google satellite. There's a little line, faint line in the dirt. So maybe there was a train at some point or some kind of transportation that went along there. That's as much information as I have, right? So it's like, you know, my mother pinned a note to me that said, take care of my child. Didn't sign it, anything like that. I don't know how far they traveled. And I was in that orphanage for two years. And now it's been 28 years. So who knows what's happened in that time in in rural China. Oh, yeah. So a lot of me is just like, why? why? I want to go back Mm -hmm. to China, but I don't want to go back to do... uh, heritage tour of any kind necessarily i think that's more for my parents than i see i guess i I forgot to ask where where somewhere south of shanghai xinyi village fuyang city so i was at the fuyang social welfare institute which i think i looked up and i couldn't find any information on them okay but it was signed by the hangzhou notary public office on May 26, 1994. Oh. I guess it was a day after I was my birthday. So, wherever that is. Yeah, that so that's is, all the information that's interesting. that I have. Oh, wow. 
I mean, I went, I went back to my orphanage known as, I actually had to ask Katie this. It's the on May social welfare. Institute. Oh, well, they wow. renovated it. That's fancy. The whole place <laughs> is renovated. So yeah, I don't think mine exists. exists. There's like a big Fu Yang renovated. and then there's like my Fu Yang. <laughs> <laughs> there's like two because I looked this up. And yeah. So there's like the big one. That's that. That's not mine. And the small. Oh, okay. One. You have a small. So, which is fine. And I think it'd be I know, right? Okay, Mr. Lee. And that was the other thing is like when uh, when 23andMe became really big, like a few years ago or whenever that was, whenever that started really spiking mm-hmm. of adoptees going through that process, um, I, I considered it. Um, and then I thought that would rely upon the people that I'm related to also doing it. And I was like, the chances of that are so rare. Right. So, you know, that didn't seem worth it. The only reason I've considered doing it is, um, and again, this is maybe a little bit morbid, but. It's like, if I ever decide to have children, I'm going to take that test to make sure there's nothing genetic that could affect the children really negatively. And that'll kind of inform a lot of my decision on whether or not I want to have kids if there's something in there. And I I should probably know anyway, like if I have a predisposition for for a certain thing. And that's the only reason I think I would take any of those tests. And maybe it'd be fun to see if I'm like 100%. I mean, I'm not 100%. No one is. But, you know, like. 100% 100% Chinese or like if I got something else kind of in me but I wouldn't do it for the purposes right. of finding anyone and that's always been mm-hmm. something that I so when I was in college and I was watching all the documentaries of all these people finding their parents and like being part of all these Facebook groups and forums and conversations and learning more about adoptee stories there was some time right. in which I was like mm. Maybe it's worth hanging some posters and like doing all of the stuff, you know, going to the village and like doing all of that and getting on the news and all of all of those things. And then I thought about it. I'm like, I don't think it's worth it for the amount of information that I was given and for my priorities. And sometimes I think I felt weird about that because there there is a, a large group of adoptees that are focused on that. And that's fine. Like everyone does their own thing mm-hmm. and I've learned that over time too. But for a while I felt exactly kind of weird. yeah I'm like am I like heartless that I like don't care <laughs> you know like but I'm not right like it's just a different way of, of dealing with it and I think that we're all gonna go through at least mm-hmm. a moment in our life regardless of how big where we're gonna think about doing that search and I just decided not to pursue it anymore but some people do and that's awesome I love I love hearing oh, those yeah. stories and learning about that journey but it's just not mine there's there's plenty of other things to think about <laughs> being an adoptee and other other ways oh, to yeah. come to terms with it which by the way you never will <laughs> everyone listening is something that you're just gonna kind of it's just gonna be part of your life forever um, which is fine it's sometimes you know it's not all yeah. bad but it is something that's just gonna kind of pop in in and out <laughs> Oh, definitely. If you have babies, are you going to have mixed yeah, babies? Probably, yeah, probably. Or probably mixed Asian babies. Babies. I've thought about adopting. Um, my joke being like, well, I already know a little bit what it's like. I've got some experience there. <laughs> Which, in seriousness, could be good or bad. It's really hard to tell, you know, because my experience is right. be very different. I don't know if I would adopt a kid from China. I don't know if that's weird. <laughs> I've thought about that. I'm like, is that weird to, like, I don't know. Maybe it's not, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I, I haven't thought about it seriously only because I don't want children, but man, being pregnant sounds awful Mm. and it it hasn't felt, hasn't (laughs) sounded better. (laughs) So (laughs) I just, I've always joked that like when my body starts going downhill, maybe then I'll consider it because 
I guarantee I'm not going to be one of those moms that like, <laughs> bounces right back on the treadmill. I, I'm not. Like, sometimes right after, I eat a oh, meal, yeah. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> like, I'm just not going to be one of those people. And I just, whatever happens after <laughs> pregnancy to my body is what's going to be. So, I, I know that about oh, myself yeah. and I'm okay with it. It just means that I'm not going to have unrealistic expectations of getting back to where I was. <laughs> If you want a real, real talk about pregnancy, you should read Ali Wong's book. Oh, God. <laughs> it doesn't get more real than what she says. I mean, she, oh, she yeah. presents in, in a very funny manner, knowing that's her style. But <laughs> she really presents it. There's no yeah, it's just going back from reading that. Just, like, it's oh, just okay. not for me yet, you know? Miracle birth hasn't hit me yet. And maybe it never will. And I think that's fine, too. <laughs> I think that that's okay. If I really want a child, I'm that's not fair. opposed to adoption. I know that... Uh, you know a lot of the times especially in the states mm-hmm. having a kid can be having being pregnant and then having a child in a hospital can be as expensive as adopting and there's just mm. so many kids out there there are so many kids i don't know if this is this this will be an interesting query i don't know if this is an adoptee thing i don't have a need to have a kid that's biologically mine and I wonder if some of that comes from mm. the fact that I am, if you really think about it, and the first time this hit me was in biology class when we had to do our family tree, I'm the matriarch, I'm the beginning of whatever happens after me, right? Because I'm the first, I'm first generation right. immigrant to this country. I'm the first one in my family line, my biological family line to come into the States and because there is zero knowledge about them, they essentially don't exist on my family tree, which means I'm at the head, right? Anything mm. that comes after trickles down from me. That's kind of empowering in like a, a weird, in a weird, twisted adoption That is. Way. But think about it. You're, you are, you're kind of, you're the beginning, right? You're the beginning of your family this is from true. now until whenever. And that's, that's, it's kind of sad because there's nothing above you, but it's kind of empowering in a weird, like, I I enjoyed, like, having that discovery and I have done nothing with it. And it doesn't, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it doesn't invade my thoughts ever. Yeah, like, so, so part of me is like, I don't really care if it's a biological kid because it doesn't, like, there was not, I have no attachment to, like, needing to carry my family line feeling like I have to carry that on mm-hmm. there's there's nothing there for me so why why would it matter um whoever my child is they're still gonna they're still gonna be part of the family right it doesn't really really matter in that way so right so that's kind of so from like a biological family tree perspective it's kind of a weird weird thought so I I hope it fuck anyone up with that one but um whew. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's something to think it's about, and it's it's cool. Like think about it in a positive way. You know, don't dwell on the the empty, <laughs> don't dwell on the sure. emptiness of love. But <laughs> you know, the but sad you part. are you are the first. You know, it wasn't consensual because you didn't know what was happening. But like, you are the first person of your biological right. lineage to be in the United States, and that's powerful. You're an immigrant, and and this is the beginning. So it's kind of cool you focus on the positive <laughs> that's kind of cool i definitely have tripped up on the idea of if i have a kid myself biologically 
there's not necessarily a guarantee it's going to look exactly right. like me. It's not necessarily a carbon copy. It would be a constant reminder that, oh, uh, Yeah. I will say, Asian though, mixed kids. Asian children are real cute. They're real cute. Oh, yes. Okay. I mean, it's the Asian part, obviously. Oh, they are. Since high school, I've had this idea in my mind that yeah. I would really love to have yep, a Asian baby. <laughs> they are probably the most Man, beautiful you get that skin tone babies going. I have Let's seen. Talk, if we're talking about skin tone, that's just a, a exactly. You know. Yep. And the features, Asian babies. I I've definitely <laughs> been teased about that by friends. They say, you know, it's very specific. A Belgian baby. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I've got time. Yeah, got time. It's, it's the the mixes. Like if I baby, want to make that like happen, Asian I will. With freckles are really cute. Oh. Like I don't know. There's something about Asian. I don't know. I have right? a lot of moles, and then my husband also has a lot of moles, so that's a concern. <laughs> it's like my child is gonna. I have like a fun triangle oh, yeah. on my chin. I've got a beauty mark. I've, it's like it's weird. I've <laughs> always gotten jokes about. Are you sure you're like? It's not like something European <laughs> going on there. I'm like I don't know. Maybe that's fine Who with knows? me, but maybe, um, I, maybe I was told by someone very random who was Asian, and I'm I'm only gonna I'm gonna be broad and say Asian because I don't remember or know if he ever specified mm. specifically from where. But he was he was commenting on the mole under my nose, which has gotten gigantic, like it's gotten bigger the older I've gotten, which is awful. And he's like, you have that mole under your nose. I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> He's like, it's very prominent. I'm like, yes, thank you. And he was like, it signifies good thank fortune. Thank you. Like the placement of it and stuff. And I was like, D- so like the bigger it is, like the the more. <laughs> He's like, yes, it's so big. Like I'm like, okay, we can, you know, we don't have to say that again. But, uh, and I looked it up and it was kind of true-ish. Like the internet-ish verified that there are, that there are, indicators for different mole locations now this is the internet what? and i'm not wow. promising that i was on a i that's a good point. edu website because i was not so that was kind of a weird i've i've had like weird encounters like that in which maybe they're a little racist i don't know i can't categorize them right i've had a couple of chinese people that have said like oh where are you from and my parents will answer because this is when i was a kid and they'd be like, I, that's what I would have guessed. You just look exactly like these mm-hmm. people from that village. And I'm like, do I know? Do I? So do I? I've had that, like, not a lot, but, like, uh, enough times that it, it's odd. <laughs> there's, there's a weird affinity to, like, Chinese and other Asian kind of people, older, kind of asking about mm-hmm. things or, like, commenting on specifically Asian things about me. Yeah, it's fun. Mm. Most recently, my mole. Kind of odd. I feel that's pretty awkward. That would be like somebody coming up to me. And I think people will look, but they haven't outright said anything to my cleft yeah. palate lip repair. That would be like somebody coming up and it's like, your lip. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for noticing. Thank you for that. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, I'm staring I'm like, okay, really I'm intently gonna... at my mouth. Yeah, I, um, I had when I was a kid, uh, women, like white women, I'm going to call you out white women would like just touch my hair and just like pet it like it's so soft Ooh. I'm like yes or like they would touch my skin 
like, oh, it's so soft. It's such a perfect skin tone. Do you know how many women would kill to have that skin? I'm like, are you suggesting that I might die right now? Is this a threat? (laughs) Those are also things that happen. There's like a touch, a touch thing. It's weird. It's very weird. Yeah, it's odd. So that's that's fun. That's always fun. And there's always like, oh, yeah microaggressions are tricky to explain to people that don't experience them and why they get so frustrating and why sometimes it seems like we're picking a really small battle and it's because I like to tell people that it's like if you just like poke someone in the same place over and over again like it doesn't hurt the first like 10 times but like after a while it kind of wears you down and then like when I do that to my husband he yells at me after I poked him 50 Mm -hmm. times he says ow that hurts why are you doing that to me and I say because it's funny I wanted to see how long it would take for you to get annoyed which you shouldn't do but like it it is this is the repetitive like small little moments of just constantly having to deal with this and then eventually you're gonna snap and the person on the other end who Mm -hmm. did it that hundredth time doesn't know that it's happened another 99 times before that so it feels like a real random kind of overreaction but it's not it's a history of that occurring over the past week or even day Mm -hmm. or whatever it is however shitty your your life is going so that's something that always that I always think about is like just stop in general and then like we won't get mad ever that's why that's why we have podcast to tell us and what what's wrong like what and and a lot of the times they it's not intentional it really truly isn't and there's a little bit of right and I know some people have zero tolerance and and that's how they do it I I have a little bit of wiggle room in that if you do if you say something and then I say hey yeah like let's rephrase that or like that's not really a question I want to answer or that's not really a good way to have this talk you know and they say, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Right. I didn't realize that I was saying it in this way or I didn't mean to offend you. Let's start again. And there's a dialogue that comes from it, a positive and constructive dialogue. Mm-hmm. I would rather that happen so that they learn from it than exploding. And then they immediately get defensive. They don't understand what's happening. And then they get this impression of me. And so that's always how I approach it. Now, if they do it again mm-hmm. or if they shrug it off, then yes, I will. I will get mad and I'll. I'll be a little bit more harsh and like less forgiving, but I think there's an opportunity right. to teach people. And again, we don't, we shouldn't have to always teach people, but sometimes when you're in this right. space to do it, it can help in the long run, especially if you have to deal with them. Like if they're a coworker or someone you have to see a lot. Extended family. Yeah, that's a whole nother one. <laughs> oh, perfect. I think that's actually a really good note to end on. Awesome. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good final note. My Instagram is AK Heinze, which is H E I N Z E 92. Uh, like the ketchup, but with an E at the end. The podcast that I run is called STL, the letters STL by design, St. Louis space. And we interview people and organizations that are at the intersection of creativity and positive impact, specifically to our local community. But a lot of these people are doing things nationally or are doing things that that I think are relevant. So it's, it's still worth a listen. Right now we're doing shorter episodes on Instagram TV that are focused on artists and organizations that are making an impact during the COVID. Whatever thing this is, <laughs> I don't even know. 
so we're doing kind of shorter form episodes and trying to uh, highlight the kind of the local creative heroes that are working on helping artists and creatives in St. Louis support themselves. Yeah. So those are my, my two Very main cool. Instagram. Um, if you're a designer, AIGA is the Professional Association for Design. There's a chapter in pretty much every um, state. Some of the states, some of the big ones have multiple chapters. Uh, it's been around for over 100 years. There's 75 chapters. So check them out. If you have any questions about it in general, let me know. I'm the president of the St. Louis chapter. But I can answer questions about it in general or direct you to someone else who can answer them better if I don't know. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me and yeah, sharing all, all your the words. wisdom. Thank you for having together. me. <laughs> Letting me ramble. For I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure people will appreciate it. It's all good. So goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to ABC. We are on major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Email adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or direct message adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Instagram and Facebook if you would like to share your story. Thank you.